Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yesterday, I took one for the team. So yesterday afternoon before the Packers game, I met my friend Dick, and we were at a um, we were at a watering hole in Cedarburg. Nice place. I hadn't been there for a while. Two dollar beers. Oh, it was it was just a good friendly place. Bar stools might have needed some upholstery, but I don't care. You know, it was a good friendly place. Bartender made a crab bisque. I mean, a crab bisque. They had sandwiches. It was a perfect spot to watch the Packers game. So we are at the bar. The bar is is full. Drinking my two dollar beer, and then the Packers game starts. And the first thing they show is Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. And I do not exaggerate. The crowd starts booing, booing out loud, to which the point is, first of all, that it's like, put on WTMJ. We want to listen to Wayne and Larry. And I'm just kind of watching this all go by. And the bartender says, well, we just don't get AM reception here. And then it's like, put on the jukebox. We don't want to listen to these people. They're booing, not the Dallas Cowboys. They're booing Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. So... A guy's going to just play the jukebox. The people, rather than listen to the commentary of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, they would rather hear the jukebox and just watch the Packers game. So I am there to be helpful. So I say, hey, you know, we've got an FM translator. It's 103.3. You can you get FM? He says, yeah, we get FM. So they put... I mean, I, I saved the bar yesterday because I said, okay, you can put a, you can put it on 103.3 and you can hear Wayne and Larry. And the guy said, really? And so he put it on 103.3. And yes, so everybody in this particular bar, we got to listen to Wayne and Larry call the game. Shut off the jukebox. Everybody was happy. All right. So I sat in the bar, watched the first half of the game. And then it was time to go home. So I drove home at halftime. And I was thinking on the way, you know, maybe I am doing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman a disservice. Maybe they are not as anti-Packers and biased and condescending as I seem to remember. Maybe they have gotten better. So I decided to take one for the team, got home, and I had two options. I could have, again, turned on the television and watched the game, and then, you know, we've got the, we, we've got the, the houses wired, so I could have put on WTMJ throughout the house and listen to the game. And I do that a lot. But I thought, no, I'm just curious. I, I, I want to just judge for myself. So I listened to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman the entire second half of, of the game. And I tried to judge for my, myself. Now, yesterday, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, I made this particular point. I said, I watched the first half of the Packers game listening to Wayne and Larry. For the second half, I had to listen to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. What a difference. I don't know about you, but you could you could almost feel how visceral and visible it was when the Dallas Cowboys comeback fell short. You almost got the fact that, I don't know, somebody had stolen Troy Aikman's dog. You could just tell how sorry the Fox guys were that the Packers ended up holding on and, and winning. So 
my general thing was that, you know, having listened to the half of it, I, um, I stand by my position. Number one, hashtag Joe Buck sucks. And number two, these guys should not be doing Packers games. And I understand, and I am now one of them, that every time it comes on and the Packers are featured and it's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Aikman shouldn't be doing Cowboys games. That's part of the problem. It's not, just not anti-Packers. He's just such a homer for the Cowboys. I think it is difficult to watch. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Text Line is already exploding. You could not find two more biased people against the Packers than Aikman and Buck. Rogers gets crushed with a late hit, and Aikman says, I hate to say it, but it was a good call. Even Joe Buck had to say, Troy, why do you hate to say it? <laughs> you know, I want to tell you why he hates to say it, because it went against his beloved Dallas Cowboys. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and I understand that I view these games through the prism of a, of a fan. So I get that, but I will tell you, I just, listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do Packers games is like trying to have your teeth drilled without Novocaine. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's uh, 414-799-1620-1800-877-1620. That's the um, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's just, and the problem is, especially like a season like this where it looks like the Packers are going to be very good, you know, every time they're a featured game on Fox, you know who they are going to trot out. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Stephen in Cedar Grove. Stephen, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. You know, like I'm no fan of uh, Buck and Aikman. I do think they pretty much suck. However, uh, I do think we do it as Packer fans have a little bit of a natural bias against Troy Aikman from his time oh. uh, taking down the Packers in the nineties. Yep. So. No, that no that 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 could be. But I think the flip side of it is Troy Aikman is a cowboy. He's you know in the Cowboy Hall of Fame, you know the Ring of Honor, all that type of stuff. And I just I think even though there's been a long time, you could tell he's a cowboy at heart. That's I think part of the frustration I have. Oh no, there's no doubt about that, and that. Uh, you know that's the problem, but you know when it, when you have a big game like Dallas and uh, Green Bay, Fox is going to go with yep. their top guys, and you know. And that I'd means rather, we're going to get Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman. Yep. I would rather put up with that and have Green Bay be a really good team. <laughs> well, no, thank, thanks for the call. And and again, the the answer uh, I'm telling the answer yesterday, and I made this solution. I took one. From, I mean, my suggestion was, hey, well, you get FM radio in this bar. Turn on turn on Wayne and Larry, and everybody suddenly was happy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Tim in Waukesha. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, Tim. Um. Hi. I just wanted to confirm. We we all made the comment. A group of us watching the game yesterday that Troy Aikman should never be doing cowboy games. I mean, it's so obvious. He's so biased. It it's just yeah. He's he's rooting for them. And look at I understand when you listen to Wayne and Larry on the radio. Okay, those are the local announcers. They are rooting for the Packers. They're they're calling a game, but they're rooting for the Packers. I get it. You understand if you're listening to the local radio feed of that. But you know, the guy is supposed to be, you know, one of these national announcers, and he he just he might as well be wearing a Cowboys jersey. Right. I don't mind Joe Buck, but I <laughs> I, I 
totally agree with you. <laughs> Got it. You might have to put them in a cowboy uniform. Got it. No, th- thanks for calling. Well, and, and maybe maybe it is just maybe I'm being unfair to Buck. Now I I just think Buck is kind of condescending. I think he's got his biases as well. Maybe if you, you didn't pair him for football with Troy Aikman, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Here's a text. Jeff, amen. I said to my wife, Aikman should put on a coaching shirt and get on the sidelines. He seems to have all of the answers. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talking Text Line. Jeff, I heard Troy Aikman say after the illegal hands to the face kept the cowboy drive going, it's about time. I saw him do it at least five times already. Yep. Um, yep, 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 yep. There's that there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you. Troy Aikman, what do you think? You know, um, I'm driving home from Door County to Chicago. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, but I gotta agree with you a hundred percent. Okay. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm listening to those guys, if I have to, I have to. But I, I'm gonna put on uh, I'm gonna put on our announcers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and from a from a hometown perspective, it's a, a lot nicer listening to your own announcers. Uh, they're cheering for your team and. Uh, I just I just can't stand listening to those two guys. No yeah. bucks, not so bad, but Troy Aikman. Yeah, I I, I just cri- well thanks to God again. It, it it was almost funny because like I say, everybody's sitting in this tavern. Everybody's waiting for the Packers game to come on. The first thing they show, and of course you know it's going to happen. You show Aikman and Buck, and then the people just start booing. You know, we you know, we we'd rather listen to the jukebox than listen to the games uh, if they're calling it. Jeff, you are so right. Both announcers were terrible. Well, yeah, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Uh let's see. Troy Aikman, I sort of understand, you know, he's a former player. Well that's part of the the problem. You know, he's a former player and you know that's I just think you know, he's got ties to the organization and it's tough for him to end up being objective. Well the bottom line is, I mean just just get ready because this is going to continue to be the case. The Packers are going to be good. So every time they're on Fox, chances are you're better than even that if it's a featured game, you're going to get Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. My answer is do what we did yesterday for the love of goodness. Turn down the volume. Put on WTMJ. Listen to Wayne and Larry. Somebody people were saying, is it possible to sync it up? At least with the FM feed yesterday and the feed we were getting in the bar, and I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was satellite or if it was cable, but it was, it was within a second or so. So the, the radio broadcast was slightly ahead, but not so far ahead that made it just annoying. But that's the way you want a remedy to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. It's really, really easy. Turn on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Watching Joe Buck and Troy Aikman cover a Packers game is like watching CNN cover a President Trump rally. Just plain biased. I think that kind of says it all. And I, I'm getting some feedback from some people who say, oh, no, they're, they're, just, they're just great. They call it like they see it. Well, I don't know. I think... 
if you just kind of go and all I'm saying is that in that second half yesterday, and I was trying to listen to it objectively, it was almost like you could just hear them rooting. Now, I understand you want to have a good game, but you could hear them rooting for the, the Cowboys. And, gee, there's two – somebody makes the point. You know, there was at least two separate things were third and long, and Troy Aikman says, ah, they, they should just stick to a screen pass. Packers aren't going to be able to any uh, haul off any long plays against the Cowboys. Eh, go figure. All right. Let us switch gears. This is something that we have discussed on multiple occasions in the past. For reasons that pass understanding, the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin has allowed a large homeless encampment to start up and continue. Um, you know, they call it Tent City. It's the area under the, the freeway over. It's under I-794 between North 2nd Street and North 13th Streets between West Clyburn and West St. Paul. Okay, right now you've got about 60 people who have been living under the overpass on North 6th and West Clyburn. About 60 people. They are intense. They have been their, their presence has been facilitated by some people who I, I think are well-intentioned, but really, really wrong. And that is, you know, you have a group of folks who've been coming over and they've been giving them food and they've been bringing them clean clothes and they've been bringing them tents and all to facilitate these people staying outside. And so you've had this, this tent city grow and grow and grow. Well, what's happened is there, there's problems. People have been stabbed. There's rampant alcohol abuse and drug abuse that is going on you have a complete and total lack of sanitary conditions that are there and a number of the people and i think a lot of homeless advocates would even say this as well by giving people tents and encouraging to live under the freeway and nobody should be living under the freeway all you are doing is enabling this bad behavior so what's happened is the state of Wisconsin, the city has, has pretty much turned a blind eye to this, despite the fact that you have a number of businesses along that area who've been complaining and complaining and complaining. The city hasn't wanted to deal with it. Well, there's a couple things that are going on now. First of all, you've got winter coming on. Secondly, you've got the Democratic National Convention that is going to be here in July of next year. And before that, you're going to have a lot of people coming to and from the city. And the last thing the city wants is a giant tent city within you know a half a mile or so or a mile of the convention center you just don't want that you don't want that appearance and so you've got that that's going on plus you have a number of like i say the businesses who are and the merchants and the property owners who are saying this this cannot go on we have to move it out so late last week uh, the state of Wisconsin apparently came out and said, all right, you, you got to move. There is a state statute that prohibits camping on highways. That is not a new state statute. That state statute has been on the books for years and years. For reasons that pass understanding, though, Tony Evers, through his Department of Transportation, um, ha- has never sought to enforce that. The Milwaukee police haven't been directed to enforce that state statute. So despite the fact that what's been going on has been illegal, it has been allowed to go on. So what's happened is on Friday, they came out, they gave a notice saying people who are part of this tent city have until October 31st to gather and remove their belongings. Now, the question becomes, if they don't, 
you know, what's going to happen on November 1st. If, if people who have decided, hey, we don't want to go into the, the shelters, we want to stay here. And, and mark my words, there's a large number of people who fit into that category. Big story in the LA Times today, and they've been focusing a lot on homelessness, you know, talking about, you know, estimates are, at least, and again, I'm extrapolating, but this is the L.A. situation. They estimate that somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of the people who are homeless have drug alcohol problems or mental illness problems. All right, so now the question becomes, the city of Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin, has allowed this tenth city to not only exist but to grow and grow and grow. So now they're saying, well, never mind, we expect you to go. October 31st comes around. You know, will we actually clean this place out you know will you have the police department you know actually go in and physically remove the people and take their stuff 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line i do not believe that actually letting people live in these types of situations is a positive thing i don't think it's a healthy thing i don't think it's a constructive thing and candidly I think they should have done what they are saying they're going to do at the end of this month. They should have done it several months ago instead of allowing this problem to grow. But 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The state now says enough is enough. If at the end of the month nothing has changed, should they forcibly remove people? 414-799-1620, if you're on the line, please hold on. We will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Judy in Milwaukee. Judy, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just mentioned uh, to your screener. Um, I, I'm a physician, and I care for some of the the patients that are currently living in the tent city or. Mm-hmm however you want to term it. And the only idea that I would put out there is that, you know, a lot of these patients are very afraid of the shelters because they've been, you know, either assaulted or somehow abused in the shelters in the city. And, you know, maybe a more compassionate way to handle this might be to offer some kind of medical assistance um, to kind of transition those people into a place where they're, you know, where they're, well, let me ask. I mean, and, and I appreciate this. See, I don't. I, I guess my my point, Judy, is I've never thought it's really humane to let people just kind of live in squalor, right. you know, under a freeway overpass. No, and, and, and I agree. With and, you. and I guess my question is, if if we accept the premise that there is a percentage and a probably a relatively large percentage of of the people that are there that are suffering from drug and alcohol problems or various forms of mental illness and and don't want to get the help what do they do right and i agree with you and actually these patients you know that i'm thinking of are are being treated for both right um so maybe you know offering some type of treatment or yeah. I know I'm going to come across as a bleeding. Heart, no, 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 it, no. It's 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 not it's not that at all. I mean, and I appreciate it as a difficult it's a difficult situation. But I mean, absolutely. okay, look in your crystal ball. Okay, so October 31st comes along, and the, the state right. says, 
okay, boom, you got to go. Over the course of the last several months, I mean, a lot of housing advocates have been working very hard trying to place some of these folks, and they've had a degree of success, so I don't mean to mock that, but it's, it's October 31st. All right, you've got an order to get out, and you have a hardcore percentage, I don't know, 50 people who've decided they don't want to go. What do you do? Right. Yeah, well, I, have. I agree. I mean, it becomes a safety issue at that point, I'm sure. Right. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And look, yeah. and I, no, I don't think you're not coming across as a bleeding-heart liberal. That That's not it. I mean, everybody, I, I think all of us understand that you've got a balancing thing that, that's there. Uh, you, you know, and, and, you know, you, you started off, Judy, talking about the shelters, and I, I get that, but there, there's a lot of people at the same time who I think fit into that category, and if you've got an issue with mental illness and drug problems or, you know, substance abuse problems, you don't want to go to the shelters because there's rules. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to fight. You're not going to be able to, you know, do drugs. You're going to have to be in at certain hours. Uh, and, and I understand there's a certain percentage of people who just don't want to play by those rules. And also, I'm sure there's some people who've had bad experiences there. But I, I guess the question becomes, now that you've set a deadline of October 31st, what, what do you do when inevitably that October 31st deadline comes along and there's still... November 1st, there's still a lot of those tents that are out there. Sandy in Menominee Falls. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Thanks again for taking my call. Sure. I'm going to pick up on where Judy left it and you, and I think we're tracking in the same direction, all three of us. I'm a clergy member. Uh, I've been involved in a ministry for some time now that is called Collars on the Corner, and it is an attempt to go into the city and to be with folks who are at risk or in uh, challenging situations and simply to shake their hand, ask their name, give your name in return, and offer them a prayer of support in Mm -hmm. a difficult time. So with that good intent, I visited several times independently and went with another deacon or two yesterday and a couple of parishioners and visited. And here's what I found, and I can document what Judy just said. I I touched base with probably 20 or so of those there, and in almost every case, clearly there was a there was a mental disorder. Yeah, and those folks, you said it, they they are afraid, whether abused or not, whatever their mental condition is, is they don't want to be confined to the degree that typically these are the folks you see in the freeway underpasses up in that very pinch point at the top where they get the best protection. Right. And certainly this is not a life that anybody would choose. Very difficult, very dangerous. So when you say what should we do, what should they do, I think the question is what should we do? And I think it's a societal issue. A lot of the folks there uh, in the homeless population, two I met yesterday are veterans. And we whatever good or bad intent has been in the past from our government, local, state, national, they don't have the support that they need. They don't have the safe housing facility or, in this case, at least the protection that they need, like tents and blankets. But of course, of course, a tent and a blanket isn't going to help. I mean, they can't stay there over over winter. You would agree with me, right? I mean, a tent and a blanket isn't going to do it when it's twenty degrees below, you know, on, on January fifteenth. So let's say thirty of the sixty are will move. They yeah. all know it. They're all accepting that, right? Let's say thirty of the sixty will not go into a shelter. Right. They're going to spend the winter on the streets, and better with a tent and a blanket 
than with nothing huddled on cardboard over a, over a vent or grate. So your suggestion would be just do nothing and let them stay there? No, no, no. I didn't say that. I think what I'm saying is we, I think we collectively have got to find a way to support this community with health care, as Judy mentioned, mm-hmm. with government protection. I know people don't like to hear about handouts, but I witnessed yesterday what I thought was beautiful. I saw Marquette students students come with with food and with water. I saw others come with shoes and clothing, and maybe that's not the place to do it. Under well, right. I guess see, that's my question. I mean, see, I guess that's my question. What What do you do if you and I agree on the premise that there is a percentage, and we can argue about how big the percentage is, but a decent sized percentage of the folks who have have mental illness problems or substance abuse problems who don't want to be inside um how do we get how do we get them inside do do we need to perhaps look at involuntary commitments um to to force them to be inside to get maybe some force them to get the treatment they need having worked for years with repairs of the breach guest house st ben's community Catholic community services etc there was a period in time 15 or 20 years ago when the state of Wisconsin laws changed such that a fair number who were in institutions were released. Yep. I don't know the detail. I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. So there, there are, that, that really, I think, was a, an instigator for this kind of homelessness, that it is the homelessness that won't accept shelter yeah. at any form. I, I, so, I agree with you completely, Sandy. No, if that, no so thanks. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, see in Milwaukee, Jeff, to be specific, specific, every Sunday I walk the lakefront and do the river walk, and I see by the Calatrava and that beautiful sunburst a, a portable cart that is a visitor's cart. I, you know, I'm just riffing here. <laughs> what if there were portable carts that were in those neighborhoods where the police and the officials know where these homeless tend to, to congregate to offer them the blanket mm-hmm. and some assist, uh, assistance, something. They're not going in. And if you, if you take them in, they're going to go out. You can't keep them out. They're not prisoners. Well, uh, Sandy, so, I mean, thanks. I guess, see, that's where, I mean, my, and I, I appreciate your perspective. And believe me, I appreciate all you do. And it's a very difficult question. And that's why I'm trying to have a, a more than just a knee-jerk conversation about it. I guess my point would be offering people blankets you know, to sleep on steam grates or something is just is not a solution. It's it's a band aid. Now, I I appreciate the difficulty. There there is a certain percentage of people who are homeless by circumstance and who you know desperately want to get off the street. And, and I mean, I, I say I think a lot of the housing people have done a great job of trying to deal with that population. The, the hardcore folks that we're talking about who come October 31st are still going to be there. And, and, you know, this is this is the issue that we're going to have. I guess I, I I think maybe you need to revisit the state laws and that whole question. You're exactly right. It was more than 20 years ago that, you know, state passed a law that makes it very, very difficult to involuntarily commit somebody unless you can clearly demonstrate that they are a danger to themselves or to others. Unfortunately, a lot of times you can't establish that they are a danger to others until actually they've actually hurt somebody else. A danger to themselves, that that's a very tough standard as well. But I, I would argue that, you know, giving somebody who decides they want to be on the street at, you know, 10 below zero because they don't like the shelters, that, that, 
giving them a blanket or a tent isn't the answer. The the fundamental answer is you gotta you, you gotta get them off the streets. And if that means you have to look at things like involuntary commitment, then you gotta look at involuntary commitment. Jeff in Muskego. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? Hi. Did, did you say there was a law against this? Yeah. Well, there's there, there's a state statute that says that they can't you, you you can't be under these freeways. That's state property. So okay. that 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 statute is right, right. everybody's been ignoring it for however okay. long it's been going on. And and that seems to be the problem with you know multiple things in in this state country whatever. You know, you get one person there, that you get two, you get three. Pretty soon, it becomes an epidemic. Um, they need to start enforcing this stuff right away. Um, I understand people are in a tough way, but aren't we all? Um, you know, um, I, I say they should be out of there, and things like this should be taken into very, very tough circumstances yeah. because of the drugs, the disease. Um, yeah. There's a lot of things that are unforeseen that can get passed on or yeah. problems. But, oh, no, and they're, they're having huge problems with this now sure. as the tent city has expanded. You've got a lack right. of sanitation. I mean, no, th- it, look, it, it, it's, it's a mess. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it's, a, it's a mess. Um, I, I think the state has dragged its heels too long in, in dealing with this. I appreciate that the people who are providing tents and stuff are, are well-intentioned. At the same time, I think they, they've just been effectively enabling that this behavior to make it easy for people easier for people to engage in this type of stuff you know i mean maybe the long-term solution is finding some space on county grounds but you know in san francisco they, they where they have if you think we got a homeless problem in Milwaukee, you look at what's going on in portland or in san francisco or san diego or, or los angeles or all up and down you know the, the west coast where the weather is more welcoming you know in san francisco they tried this idea where they took a they, they took a a semi-empty military base, and they said, okay, we're going to open this up, and we're going to let homeless people move there. Well, homeless people didn't want to move there. Now, now some might have, but a lot of people would just, uh, again, the people who, who don't want to abide by any rules at all decided they wanted to stay exactly where they were, and now you have this huge situation where the city is overrun with homeless folks and people who are begging, and it's created this huge issue as it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. I don't think we gain anything by enabling the the problematic behavior and living under the freeway overpass is is problematic. I think you got to do everything you can to offer people places to go. If they refuse to go there, then you got to move to Plan B. And Plan B is okay. Do we need to do involuntary uh, commitments because letting people stay in a tent in January in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to me is not humane either. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Let me start off this hour by perhaps surprising some of you. I think Governor Tony Evers has gotten this right. Yes, mark the tape. I think he has gotten this right. Let me explain the pardon procedure. I think arguably one of the greatest powers that a chief executive, whether you're the governor or the president, one of the greatest powers that you have has to do with pardons. You, as the president, have the ability to issue pardons for federal offenses. Governors, you can issue pardons when it comes to state violations. Now, there's all different kinds of pardons that can be issued. 
Um, one of the most controversial pardons was issued when uh, back after the Watergate era, after President Nixon resigned, um, before he was going to be impeached for his involvement in the Watergate cover-up. Gerald Ford probably cost himself any chance at all to be re-elected president in 1976 because he came out and he issued a pardon to Richard Nixon. What that pardon said was Richard Nixon could not be prosecuted moving forward for any crimes connected with the Watergate investigation. So it was this blanket pardon that prevented charges from being issued. Gerald Ford did it. And I think in good faith, he did it because he thought the country needed to move on. But it, he, his poll numbers never recovered. He went on to lose to Jimmy Carter in 1976. Carter was, of course, a one-term president after that. But but that was one type of pardon. You cannot be charged for anything moving forward. Another type of pardon is that even if you have been charged, you will not you will not, the, pr- the prosecution will not be able to go on. One of the most controversial pardons that Bill Clinton issued, and Clinton issued a lot, was to a guy named Mark Rich. Clinton did this as he was leaving office. Mark Rich was a billionaire financier who got indicted in the 80s. He was also a large Democrat contributor. He got indicted in the 80s for hundreds of counts of tax fraud and embezzle, all sorts of stuff. Rather than face the prosecution, he fled to Switzerland, where he lived as a fugitive. His wife was an extremely large contributor to the Democratic Party. She gave over a million dollars in donations, including a $100,000 campaign contribution to Hillary Clinton's campaign when Clinton was running to be the the senator from New York. As he was leaving the White House, literally within a day or two of him leaving, Bill Clinton issued a pardon to Mark Rich. Now, this is a guy who had been indicted in the 80s, who had been a fugitive, who you know had, hadn't been convicted of anything but was facing these charges. Bill Clinton said, I'm going to issue a pardon, can't be any sort of prosecutions. And interestingly, I think even most Democrats recognize that that thing just stunk to high heaven, no question about it. So that's another type of pardon. You prevent, even if somebody's been charged, you prevent the prosecution. Then there is the type of pardon that... Um, Brendan Dassey is looking for. Dassey is serving a sentence. He has been convicted of murder. He's serving a life sentence. He is asking the governor to commute his sentence. In other words, let him out and issue a pardon. So that's another type of pardon. And governors have the authority. They could say, hey, look, I I think that uh, that this sentence is too great. Um, I'm going to let you out. So Evers theoretically would have the ability to do that um, for example and, and that that happens on occasion too and then there is the other type of pardon which is out there it is where people have served their sentences and in many cases it's for offenses that they committed years and years ago they've served their sentences but they would like to receive a pardon In those cases, a pardon doesn't make the sentence go away. It doesn't make the crime go away. It simply says that, well, 
we will restore some of your rights. For example, felons aren't allowed to own firearms. Well, if you have a pardon, then you can own a gun. You can vote. You can be on a jury. You can hold public office. You can hold various licenses. Pardon doesn't make it go away for those people, but it does restore some of their civil rights. During his eight years in office, Governor Walker never issued a pardon, any type of pardon. Didn't let people out of jail early, didn't prevent prosecutions of people, and didn't look at some folks and say, okay, you have a conviction from years and years ago. You have led a positive life since then. I'm going to give you a pardon so you can get on with your life. Tony Evers said that he was going to change that. And he set down certain conditions, including the fact that he said, look, I'm not going to be interested in letting people out of prison, not interested in letting people out of jail, but I will be willing to look at some of these old cases to determine, is it time to perhaps forgive? So here's the deal. Today, Tony Evers is issuing four pardons, four guys, Eric Pizer, Kevin Sorensen, Mwangi, Vassar, and Stephen Nichols. Pizer gets into a bar fight when he was 22. Celebrating his return home from his second tour of duty in Iraq as a Marine, he is now 38, got convicted of a felony battery conviction. He says it prevented him from pursuing a career in law enforcement and from being able to hunt. Sorensen, convicted of selling ecstasy at a party when he was 17. That was 19 years ago. He's now 36 years old. He got a job as an Air Force civilian employee. He says a pardon would open up more military service opportunities. Vassar was 19 when he was arrested for selling cocaine. He got a doctorate in theology. That was 21 years ago, and he wants to be a military chaplain. He can't because of this conviction. And the fourth guy, Nicholas Nichols, was convicted of felony burglary when he was 21. That was 41 years ago. He wants a pardon because he wants to be able to hunt and travel to Canada. All right. Evers has said in these cases, they are all old. They're, you know, in most cases, if they're at least 20 years old or more. The people did the time, suffered the penalty. They have gone on to lead outstanding lives. So he figures, I'm going to give them a second chance. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no problem at all with pardons being used for situations like this. Situations where you're talking about conduct that occurred decades ago. In many cases, it occurred when people were were very, very young. They've paid their debt to society, and now they want, again, civil rights restored or whatever. I don't have a problem with using it for these type of situations. Now, if we were talking about letting uh, Brandon Dassey out of prison or um, preventing you know, the prosecution or extradition of a Mark Rich, that's a different story. But for cases like this, old convictions, decades old convictions where the people have already completed their punishment. Matter of fact, you know, did their time years and years and years ago and are markedly different people arguably now than they were 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. I have no problem with issuing pardons at all. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And while I don't claim to be familiar with the intimate details of all these people that Evers has decided to pardon, if, if he wants to pardon people that fit into these general categories, 
I'm not going to object. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, how about you? And my guess is, if you think about this, perhaps maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody close to you, maybe it's a good friend or something. You know, my guess is we all know people who did like really, really stupid things decades ago when they were younger, and and they they got punished for it, and they deserve to get punished for it, but they're a markedly different person now. They've been, yeah, you know, off of supervision, out of jail if they did jail time, and and maybe maybe it's time to kind of give them a second chance. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Hales Corners. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good. What do you think? Good. Hey, you know, I'm no fan of Tony Evers, but, but from how you described these individual cases, I think these are absolutely warranted. Uh, these are exactly what the pardon uh, uh, yeah. program is for. It's, you know, it's for the person who made a one-time mistake and mm. and lived, you know, lived a, a very good quality law-abiding life after the fact. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, the one guy who, okay, he, he, he commits a burglary at the age of 21, you know, presumably does time for it, you know, serves probation, parole, whatever. It's 40 years later, and the guy, you know, wants to hunt and be able to travel to Canada. Oh, okay, it, it's 40 years ago. Why not if he's led an exemplary life over those last 40 years? Exactly. And there, there's no pattern of criminality. I mean, right. you know, these people made a mistake, and they obviously learned by it, and they grew from it, and, and yeah, I think yeah. they absolutely deserve another chance. Right, exactly. Thanks for the call. And you see, one of the things that the governor has said, to his credit, he said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to be letting people out of prison. That, that's not what this is. My rule for issuing pardons is, first of all, you have to have completed your sentence. So that this isn't, I'm not interested in deciding, gee, the court system got this wrong or something like that. I, I'm not going to be, not going to say, well, gee, okay, all the Brendan, now he hasn't ruled on the Brendan Dassey thing, but I mean, that would be inconsistent with the ground rules he set down, which is like, I'm not going to set myself up to determine whether a jury got it right or a sentencing got it right. I'm not going to be some sort of super appeals court but he said okay for cases like this situations where you know again it's in almost all cases it's crimes that were committed when people were young and stupid and they have gone on again to demonstrate that all right they, maybe it's time to give them another chance okay the kid 17 years old sells ecstasy don't get me wrong i'm not endorsing selling ecstasy at all but that's 20 years ago it happened when he was 17 he completed probation got a job as an air force civilian employee he'd like to join the military but as long as he's got that felony conviction there without a pardon he can't all right so give the guy a chance in this particular case, I think Tony Evers has it right. Mark the tape. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's one thirty-five. so very glad to have you with us. All right. I, I think one of the things that we've all learned over the last several years is that you need to take polls with a grain of salt 
if you believed polls as being the gospel, well, Ron Johnson would not have been elected the first time when he ran against Russ Feingold. If you believe polls as being the gospel, Ron Johnson would not have beaten Russ Feingold when they had a rematch six years ago. And perhaps most dramatically, Hillary Clinton would be the president preparing for a reelection run as opposed to Donald Trump. So there's been a lot of talk about polls. It is difficult to accurately get polling and People lie to the pollsters. It, there, there, there are all sorts of issues that are out there. At the same time, the polls are what they are, and it's tough to completely and totally discount them. Which brings us to the new poll that's out there that suggests President Trump is in a lot of trouble. Now, let me back into this. The path to the White House for President Trump in 2020 is a relatively narrow one. It is the one that he was able to map out in 2016. It means carrying states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. And, you know, if if he's not able to do that, well, it's tough to see how he gets to the, what, 271 electoral votes that he needs. You know, it's I guess it's possible to say that you could lose Michigan and maybe you could pick up a state here or wherever. It's possible to say you could lose Pennsylvania, although that becomes tougher. It's possible, I guess, to say you could lose Wisconsin and you could still get elected. But the truth of the matter is it's going to be very, very hard. That's why Wisconsin is going to be so much in play over the next 13 months. And again, for people who support President Trump's reelection, Wisconsin is going to be a, a bellwether state. It is going to be crucial, and there's going to be a ton of advertising. The candidates are going to be here a lot. Trust me, the Democrats are not going to make the mistake that Hillary Clinton made in 2016 of taking Wisconsin for granted, which is why there is so much attention being played on Wisconsin. Now, about, well, about a month ago, Marquette University Law School and their poll, despite some notable misses um, over the last few years, the Marquette University Law School is poll is generally viewed as kind of the gold standard for for polls. You know, they came out with hypothetical head to head matchups between the top tier Democrat candidates and Donald Trump. Now, this poll was done last month, so you were still at the time talking 14 months before the election, and it was before all this impeachment stuff heated up. But I was just looking at their numbers. In head-to-head matches, they had Biden up over President Trump 51 to 42. They had Bernie Sanders up 48 to 44. They had Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump in a dead heat. They had Kamala Harris and Donald Trump in a dead heat. But the operative takeaway was Biden ahead by nine points, which would be outside the margin of error. And it essentially within the margin of error for all the different candidates, except except uh, Trump not ahead for any of them. That was the Marquette University Law School poll. Over the weekend, Fox News came out with their own poll of Wisconsin voters. And interestingly, their numbers, well, um, relatively similar. Their polling, which was done at the end of September, suggested in a head-to-head matchup, Biden 48%, Trump 39%. And again, this, I think, was taken before the real impeachment stuff started to to heat up. 
but Biden ahead by nine points, which is the same margin that the Marquette Law School poll had. They had Bernie Sanders, this is Fox, ahead 45 to 40. That's um, essentially the same margin that the Marquette University Law School poll had. And this Fox poll had Elizabeth Warren 45, Trump 41. Um, the Marquette Law School poll had Warren at 45 and Trump at 45. So, uh, again, within the margin of error. But the operative takeaway of this, in a state that the president absolutely has to have to win re-election, um, he's, if you believe these polls, he's trailing, at least he's trailing Joe Biden by almost 10 points. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, th- this question is open to both supporters and opponents of the president. Is Donald Trump in trouble in the state of Wisconsin? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can we simply just dismiss these poll numbers as being, well, uh, flawed because polling in general is flawed? Or is this a sign that in a state the president absolutely has to have, he's he's not doing as well as you would hope? He won Wisconsin in 2016 with 47% of the vote, and he's below that, well below that, in both of these polls. 414-799-1620, is this poll bad news for the president? What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Fox News comes out with a poll showing that uh, President Trump trails Joe Biden by nine points in Wisconsin. Now, there's no guarantee that Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat nominee, but is this a warning sign? Is it something that the president should be concerned about? Lucy on the West Side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Um, you're screaming at me to say whether I believe the polls. <laughs> well, you um, can say whatever you want, Lucy. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, um, I don't think it's any secret that I have strong Democratic leanings. And the main thing I thought when I heard these polls is if it's Marquette, it's probably right. And number two, it's going to make the job of organizing and canvassing, if we don't get lazy, a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot easier to knock on somebody's door and say, hey, we've got a chance here. You told me two years ago you wanted to vote against Trump, and I told you it wasn't time yet. Now it's time. we got a chance. And with with the poll number supporting that, it makes it a whole lot easier than if he was 10 points ahead and people said, why bother? Right. Now, of course, the flip side is that it's easier, arguably, to actuate the the Republicans. Hey, this is, you know, know, he could really lose. You need to get out. You need to vote. You need to be excited about it. But they're always, Jeff, you know this from your years of being in Wisconsin politics, Mm -hmm. the Republicans turn out. Yeah. They turn out. The, the huge question mark is getting people who would vote Democratic if they voted to think it's worth going to the polls. Do and that, that's why Hillary Clinton lost. And Charles Franklin did predict that toward the end, didn't he? Well, toward, well, I don't know. If the, the very the, end. Yeah, they, I got. I'd have to think back. I don't think he. I don't think they ever called it. She might have been within the margin. Her lead might have been within the margin of error. But I don't think anybody really saw him winning Wisconsin. Let me ask you this: Do you think it matters who the Democrats nominate? Absolutely, and I think it matters even more how the Democrats nominate that person. Um, if there is a blood feud fight that gets going, where number one, 
we look stupid to the American people who aren't committed Democrats, that will be bad. Yep. And number two, it will be very bad if there's a kind of a blood feud fight that goes on that makes the loser of that fight say, I wouldn't vote for so-and-so yep. no matter what. And some of that is what happened with Hillary Clinton, too. The Bernie supporters never came over because they felt they'd been cheated. Yep. No, absolutely. Lucy, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that, that you said. I mean, here's how I look at this. Well, let me get a couple texts here. Uh, Jeff, I think Trump could be in trouble in Wisconsin. I don't know how accurate the polls are, but I know that I will not vote for him again like I did in the last election. If the Democrats come up with a candidate that does not want to turn this country into socialist country, I think that there may be a lot of people that think the same way I do. I I think that that's out there. And people keep asking me, how do you think this election is going to turn out? And I keep saying, I don't know. I also preface it by saying I didn't see President Trump becoming president in 2016. But I I, I do firmly believe this. I, I think a lot of it does depend on who the Democrat candidate is. And I've said this before. If the Democrats nominate a left leaning but still nevertheless centrist candidate, a Joe Biden, for example, I, I think the chances of them winning become a lot greater. Now, I don't firmly believe that this country is ready to take sort of the socialist road that an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders wants to talk about. If they become the nominee, the issue in the campaign becomes, hey, do you really want to take all these institutions in this country, and do you really want to say, we're going to destroy the private insurance industry, and we're going to have Medicare for all, and we're going to start imposing all these taxes on the wealthy, and we're going to forgive student loans, and we're going to forgive medical debts, and all these types of things. Then that becomes an issue, and candidly, I mean, I think a lot of mainstream Americans, I think, would be scared as heck of a, a Bernie Sanders presidency or an Elizabeth Warren presidency. In those sort of circumstances, it, it doesn't necessarily become about Donald Trump. It becomes about, you know, do you want to buy into this kind of whacked out far left vision of the country that they are articulating? If it is, again, somebody like a Joe Biden, who is certainly a liberal, but not not somebody who's going to be way out there on the left wing, it becomes a different dynamic. And then I think the election becomes more and more about, are you tired of the drama with President Trump? You know, if you figure, hey, you know, you could trust the keys to this country with with Joe Biden, um, then it becomes, all right, maybe do do we want to get away from the drama, et cetera? I'll tell you something. I do believe If the election were held today, now I understand the election is not being held today. I think if the election were held today, do I think it's a nine-point margin that Biden is ahead of Trump? I don't know if it's nine points, but I, I do think if the election were held today, Biden probably wins the state of Wisconsin. And if Biden wins the state of Wisconsin, well, that makes it much, much easier to envision him being elected president of the United States. Now, of course, the election isn't held today. It's not held tomorrow. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between then. I don't know how this whole impeachment thing is going to play out. I'm relatively confident that President Trump isn't going to be removed from office. The question becomes, is there going to be a backlash? Is this going to be a deal like what happened to the Republicans when they tried to pursue the impeachment of Bill Clinton in the mid-1990s, where Clinton actually came away as a sympathetic figure and came away stronger than ever? I, I, I don't know. I mean, there is that possibility. There's certainly a possibility that at some point in time, 
more and more of the so-called swing voters might perceive this effort at impeachment as being just a colossal waste of time and nothing but a witch hunt. On the other hand, it's possible that it could go the other way. And even if impeachment doesn't happen, you know, people just get more and more tired of President Trump's act. Don't know how that's going to play out. And that's going to be a, a huge indicator. As I've said before, the risk of impeachment is it's taken all the air out of all the presidential campaigns. You know, we're not talking about Social Security reform anymore. We're not talking about gun control. We're not talking about, you know, health care. All we're talking about is impeachment and what went on in this phone call with the Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I don't see the Republicans removing him. So I don't know what's going to happen 13 months from now. I do think if the election were held today and you had a center-left candidate like a Joe Biden, I wouldn't be surprised if he won Wisconsin. And, and it's, I, I wouldn't be surprised. When the Democrats beat Scott Walker in 2018, you know, one of the things you saw was they, they didn't – they turned to a guy like Tony Evers – who was sort of nondescript. You got the impression that Evers, while a liberal, wasn't necessarily going to rock the boat. A number of those people who were running for office would have really rocked the boat. You could have picked a number of the candidates who were running for governor, and the election then would have become more about them than Scott Walker. In the case of Evers, it was like, okay, well, he's not necessarily our first choice, but we don't think he's going to do anything devastatingly bad. And you've got the Republicans to control the Assembly and the Senate. Don't know how this is all going to play out. But I will tell you, if I were the people running the Trump campaign in Wisconsin, I'd be looking at numbers like this and saying, we've got to do something to change the narrative. And if we won Wisconsin with 47% of the vote last time, we got to figure how we're going to hold all those Trump voters and how we're going to move new people in. I don't know how you do that with the narrative right now. But like I say, there's 13 months to go. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So a friend says to me Friday night, are you going to a bunch of concerts or are you going to be hanging out in Heaven's Waiting Room? And I had to think about that for a second, but here's here's the deal. And it raises one of these sort of larger issues. Now, next week, going to Las Vegas for just a couple of days at, at the end of the week. And we're going to see some shows going with um, my stepdaughters and my brother and a friend of his. And so we're, we, I booked some shows. So Thursday night, we get there Thursday. Thursday night... We are going to go see Barry Manilow. Now, I, I I saw Barry Manilow in October of 1982. I will never forget at the old Milwaukee Arena. Haven't seen Barry Manilow since then. And yes, Barry Manilow is still alive. He's 76 years old. All right. Um, the reason we're going is because my wife said I like the Barry Manilow song, so they able to get tickets to that. So Friday night we are going to go see Journey. Now Journey's played here and stuff, but I mean Journey is like a seminal 70s and 80s rock band. Uh, Barry Manilow is 76. The the guys from Journey, the original members of Journey that are performing, um, they are 65 and 70, respectively. All right? And then Saturday night, we're going to go see Jimmy Buffett. I always see Jimmy Buffett in Las Vegas. Buffett is 72. So the other night, I'm at dinner. 
with some friends, and one of my friends, Mike, is saying, okay, what, what are the shows you're going to see? And I'm, I'm running this off, and I'm running through these. He said, okay, so you got, you got Barry Manilow, who's 76, and you got these guys from Journey who are 65 and 70, and you got Buffett, who's 72. He said, all right, tell me about some of the other shows you, you've seen in Vegas recently. And I said, well, when we were there in March, I, I saw Cher. Well, how was she? Well, she was pretty good for 74, you know, but she's she's 74. And then I saw Paul McCartney, you know, in Green Bay this summer. He's 74 or 75. Huh, huh, huh. Saw Rod Stewart two times ago in Vegas, and Stewart, he has not aged particularly well, but he was 74. So I'm, I'm going through the, this list of all these different performers that, that I've, I've seen recently, and... They're all in their, their 70s. Some of the most popular shows that are going on now are some of these farewell tours. Now, some of the performers have multiple farewell tours, but, you know, Elton John is on, like, this three-year farewell tour. Elton John is 72 years old. Then you got Bob Seger. He was in Milwaukee not that long ago. He's on his farewell tour. Seger is 74. Ozzy Osbourne is on his farewell tour. Ozzy, I don't think he really remembers how old he is, but actually he's 70 years old. And then you got Paul Simon, who just finished up his farewell tour. He's 77. And, and all of these shows have done like huge box office and, and huge business. But all these guys, or gals in the case of Cher, they're all 70 or older. And my, my buddy, we were talking about this, and he says, you know, he says, I, I've seen a lot of shows. And he said, I decided... I don't know. I decided a while back that I I was done with this. I I'm not going to go see any of these guys or gals, these people that are in their 70s and mid 70s. I'm going to try to find new acts. I'm I'm going to try to find somebody in their teens or their 20s or their 30s. One of these up and coming people, you know, as opposed to just some of the, these nostalgia things. And I said, well, you know, of course the problem is. You, you you go to some of these shows and and you just you want to see one you want to see these performers you know one more time who you know have been such a part of of your life and you don't know how much longer they're going to be around and my buddy says no he says I I I mean I I know their music I've seen their shows I don't need to see these people in their mid seventies I want to see you know I want to see the new super I want to see the new people that are coming up and you know a lot of times if you can find some of these new younger acts you're gonna you're gonna see a much better show and you're not going to have to shell out the dough that you have to shell out to go see some of the shows that you are going to see. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I, I was thinking about this conversation, and we had it on, on Friday night, and the news over the weekend that Ginger Baker, who was arguably one of the three or four greatest rock and roll drummers of all time, he, you know, he played... He started off well. Cream was probably what really brought him to to fame. If you hear, um, if you listen to "Sunshine of My Love," that song that that's Ginger Baker's drumming. If you listen to "White Room," that's Ginger Baker's drumming. But I, I was thinking about you know we we all. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's part nostalgia, but we we all 
go out of our way to try to see these acts that were the acts of, of our childhood. And like I say, in many cases, I mean, these are people that we've seen before. Now, Jimmy Buffett's different because it's just I'm, I'm a parrot head. But for all these other various performers, in almost all cases, I'd seen them perform before, and yet I'm going out to see them in the 70s. I don't know. Are, are, are we missing something? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are we obsessing with the past, and, and should we be looking more to the future? Now, these the shows, don't get me wrong, the Eagles, Don Henley, 72 years old. Okay, Eagle shows are selling out for $250, $300, $400 a, a ticket. You know, the same thing is true with McCartney. You know, the same thing is true with Elton John. Like I say, he's 72. People are spending big dollars to go see these acts. All right, is it nostalgia? Why are we doing this? And I don't know, especially from the perspective of us baby boomers, should we be looking, I don't know, to try to find that the, those, those newer acts, the younger people that maybe have more to offer? Is it more fun to discover or to, are we reliving our childhood? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Crew is lining up the calls we're back to discuss in just a moment. Like I say, I don't have the high road because in Vegas next week, I'm seeing Barry Manilow and Journey and uh, Jimmy Buffett. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Guess the bottom line is, is it crazy that all these people, myself included, are spending all this money to go see performers who... You know, are are in their seventies, whose you know best days, whose shows and whose songs, the best songs come from forty and fifty years ago. Let's start with Josh on the South Side. Hi, Josh. Hi. I hate to be an ageist, but it's really true. Yeah, I, you can be an ageist. That's okay. <laughs> um, would you rather see Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson when they were in their twenties or now? Yeah, I, definitely in their twenties. Yep. So I'm sorry, baby goers are kind of arrogant. It's just they're past their prime. I'm a Gen Xer, and my bands are old. Right. I want to see are young. Didn't, didn't Pete Townsend say, I'd rather die before I get old? So they're just rolling out there, and they're playing half-heartedly. It's rock and roll. It's not like even Frank Sinatra with his crooning was getting pretty <laughs> not right. coherent. And so come on, 70s? It's really... You can spend your money on what you want, but rather see Rolling Stones in 1968. Nah, right. Mick Jagger's 76 years old. You know, I mean, he's still doing that same. He's still still doing the same act that he was doing like 50 years ago. Um, just not quite as well. Far <laughs> delusional. Got it. Okay, so you think that the uh, the baby boomers or everybody that's buying these tickets, and it's not just baby boomers, but the people that are buying these tickets, you think they'd be better served trying to find the young bands that really have maybe a little more energy. All right, good enough. Thanks for call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, what is, I mean, what is the appeal then? Is is it nostalgia? Um, good afternoon, Jeff. I think that people are willing to pay the money to see these performers. It's a combination of nostalgia and the realization that an era is slowly coming to an end. These artists have endured because they possess a genuine talent that transcends generations. I doubt in 30 or 40 or 50 years um, time that the current artists will be as fondly remembered, if at all. 
Huh. Jeff, I took two, I just took two of my daughters, ages 11 and 17, to see Toto in Madison a few weeks ago. None of them listened to the latest music. They listen to, gr- they listen to groups I grew up with in the 70s and 80s because they feel the quality is so much better. I agree. The musicians of the past are the true artists. Um, 414-799-1620. Jeff, it's a lot cheaper to find new bands. That's also a lot more fun. I think people have made music a part of their bucket lists. Yeah, see, that's what I, that's what I think it is. And that's what I think is, is really kind of going on here. I recognize that when I go see, we saw Cher. And, and I recognize when I go to see Cher, it's it's not going to be the share from 50 years ago. It's not. But nevertheless, I, I thought people said, what kind of show was it? I said, well, you know, I, I thought for somebody who's, you know, 74 going to be 75 or 73 going to be 74. I, I thought she put on a, a good show. Um, now, was, was she dancing around like she probably did 50 years ago? No, it, it wasn't. I think the nostalgia factor is huge, though. The other thing that I think drives a lot of this is these are the song tracks of of our life. I, I mean, I said earlier, when I saw Rod Stewart a year or two ago, it, it was rough. I, I mean, his, his voice was kind of shot, uh, and I mean, he, he had the teleprompter and his voice was shot. But still, I, I, I'd seen Rod Stewart, I think, twice in, in my life. And do I want to see him again? No, but it was this kind of one op- more opportunity to, you know, see a guy who's done what I think, you know, Maggie May is one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. And candidly, I sat through a lot of the thing, but it was worth it to see him do the, the song, you know, Maggie May. You know, I feel that same way about a, a lot of the different performers, you know, th- that are out there. You know, Journey, do I feel this obligation that I want to go see Journey a lot? No, but, you know, we're I, I know a lot of the songs and I think it'll be interesting. So I, I think at some point in time, this nostalgia thing is going to kind of peter out. But right now, if you look at the tours that are making all the dough, the you know, the big business, well, it's it's these bands that are doing, like I say, their farewell tours, and it's all these performers who somehow, suddenly, uh, you know, they're, they're all in their 70s. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how all these performers of my youth suddenly got old, but but they did. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, gee, you know, I haven't seen Bob Seger in 35 or 40 years, and he's probably not going to be around that much longer here. We're going to go. We're going to go see the show. And and they do. Um, at the same time, I, it's always a treasure to me when you're kind of wandering around like the grounds at Summerfest or something and you find, you know, one of those, you know, new bands and you go, boy, th- this this could be, you know, the next superstar. So it's it's a fine balance. But right now the money is in nostalgia. The money is in the older acts. And I guess I'm kind of contributing to that because I told you who I'm going to be seeing in Vegas next week. My buddy says, never going to any of those shows again, to which I'm saying, well, if you can get good tickets, can I have yours? This is Jeff Wagner.